1.5. And uh, we have looked at this section of uh, caring for people and uh, other creatures that uh, are in need or would be easily oppressed, vulnerable, weak, or whatever. Some really good things to think about. Um, and uh, we come to a section where we're still talking about making personal sacrifice, a whole different issue. But would somebody read chapter 25, verses 5 to 10? Brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son. The widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel, who will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has his, who has had his sandal removed. Okay, so the idea is, if there's a uh, married man who dies childless, that his brother should marry the widow, and the first son would be considered the son of the deceased man in terms of carrying on the family name and passing down the family inheritance. This is known theologically as the Leveret Law, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, off of the Latin word brother-in-law, which is L-E-V-I-R, however that's pronounced in Latin, I have no idea. Uh, why in the world we came up with a Latin name for this, I have no idea. But if you see that, that's what this is all about. It's this law of the brother-in-law. The brother-in-law needing to, by rights, marry the widow. He's doing this for the sake of the family, for the sake of his deceased brother, so that the name doesn't die out, so that the inheritance is not lost to this brother. That kind of an idea. Now, you think about that a little bit. Um... You realize that there would be some disadvantages to the brother-in-law to do this. You know, because what's he going to have to do? If he marries the widow, he's got to support the widow. And if he marries the widow and has a son by her, he's got to support the son. And when the son gets old enough, the son inherits the property of this man's brother... If there is no son, then the property would revert to the brother or brothers. So he's cutting himself out to bless his brother and picking up a couple of dependents, perhaps, in the process. So you can see why financially, economically, you know, selfishly, you wouldn't necessarily want to do that. You remember how there was a closer kinsman to uh, Naomi, to Limelech, than, than what uh, was Boaz, but that man, once, once he found out all the responsibilities that would be involved, did not want to perform the role of the kinsman redeemer, which seems to have at least been a parallel kind of a thing to the uh, uh, responsibility of the brother-in-law here. And there, there doesn't seem to be a way of, of uh, in the law, making the man do this, but you can shame him if he doesn't. 
and he becomes known as the man whose sandal is removed, the man who refused to generously provide for the inheritance of his brother. Comments or questions on all of this? What if he was already married? I assume that he would take her as a second wife. That's my understanding. Good question. Other questions or comments? Okay. Yeah. What's with the shoe thing? It seems to have just been a way of kind of, uh, you know, stigmatizing him. You know, she takes his sandal off and spits in his face and says, here's the one that uh, doesn't build up his brother's house. So I assume there's something, um, you know, a bad mark for being the one who had his sandal removed. But what? why, I have no idea. Other questions or comments? Yes? It says if the brothers live together, what if they don't? Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know that I really thought about that a great deal. Uh, I guess I'm assuming these are brothers who know each other and are part of the same family as opposed to, you know, if a brother wasn't anywhere around and wouldn't know it. I don't know. Somebody knows something about that more than the obvious. So I don't know. Other thoughts or questions? All right. Uh, verses 11 to 16. about this idea of carrying on the family name by marrying the widow of your brother, I suspect 11 and 12 go along with the idea of the passing on of the inheritance, the continuation of the family, that uh, two are struggling and the wife in some way injures one of the men to where he won't be able to bear children. I think that's probably the idea, and in that case, you know, her hand is to be cut off without pity because she prevented him from being able to bear children. You all can come on up if you want. We've got a whole row or two of seats over here. We've got seats on up here. So if anybody wants to come on up, or if any of you who are sitting want to move over, move up, move out, you know, the more space we can give, the easier it becomes for everybody. So uh, we do have quite a few seats uh, back over here and up here. <coughs> All right, um, and then in 13 to 16, you have this idea of being fair in your treatment in business, not having two measures, not having two weights. The idea is cheating. You know, you, uh, it, it, you, you, you've got the, the, the scale somehow uh, weighted improperly to where, you know, when you sell, you know, 100 grams of something, really you're only selling them 80 grams. 
It's almost like manufacturers do today, making a box three times larger than the content to make you think that you're actually getting more. Have you ever noticed how that is? You know, you're paying a lot for a good part of air. But, uh, you know, that the idea is just being unfair and unscrupulous in business tactics uh, to really cheat people. Really, it's that stealing and dishonesty when it's all said and done. All right, thoughts and comments here through 2516. Okay. 17 to 19. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt. How he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. You remember that story? That was right after the Israelites came out of Egypt. Here they are, a previously oppressed and enslaved people, a people who are, you know, not militarily trained, organized, or whatever. And Amalek attacked them when they were down, and furthermore, attacked them from the rear, you know, attacking the stragglers and the weak. You know, just very cowardly on the part of Amalek to try to destroy God's people in a time when they weren't even properly organized to trying to attack them not head on, not you know a fair fight, but, but an unfair one. And God had said at that time in Exodus 17, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So, you know, God had said that then, and now Moses is again saying that when God gives you rest, then you need to blot out the memory of Amalek. Don't forget to take care of that unfinished business. The judgment that God wanted against the Amalekites. Do you remember anything about that? Uh, did the Israelites uh, ever uh, carry out some of this unfinished business against Amalek? Saul was told to, you remember, he didn't get the job done totally. It appears also that the Amalekites were kind of nomadic tribesmen, and so there were probably different groups of Amalekites. Saul was supposed to exterminate one of them. He spared some of the animals and Agag the king and so forth. Do you remember another time in Israelite history where they do seem to have been more successful in wiping out Amalekites? Some of you know that probably. Talking about Esther. Esther, because Haman was what? Anybody remember what Haman was? Agagite. The Agag name is associated with Amalek. I think it's probable that Haman was an Amalekite. And remember that Haman and his sons were wiped out. You remember that. Uh, uh, edict of Haman that was sort of counter-edicted so the Jews could destroy their enemies and they hung Haman's son and so forth. So, that's probably also a fulfillment of this passage. Comments and thoughts here on anything in chapter 25. 